Hello and welcome to Independent Minds, part of the audio version of workworkwork.works. In Independent Minds, we hear from thought leaders about approaches they have developed to address the challenges organisations and the people who work in those organisations have to face. I am Michael Millward and my guest is Martin Johnson. Hello, Martin. Hello, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much for making the time available. What we're going to be looking at today is a concept which you have developed, which is called the three laws of engagement. But I wanted, first of all, to explain to our audience a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure, Michael. I mean, my background is as a day job is a business analyst. Um, I'm an analyst through and through, really. I love to break really hard things down into more simple terms so people can understand them better and then be better themselves in whatever they're doing. And for 20 or 30 years, I've been working in organizations of different sizes, different sectors. And it always struck me that if I could get people talking, engaged, sharing what I call useful truths and collaborating, then that would make me a better business analyst. So I'm very much a room observer. I like to observe people. I like to observe the rooms that I've been working in and in different clients across the UK mostly. Uh, that's what I've been picking up. So I make lots of notes and then I turn them into something. In this case, the laws of engagement. When you've been doing your observations, what sort of things have you seen as the challenges that people face, which the laws of engagement will help them resolve? Yes, absolutely. So we can't be with people all of the time. So things are going on in rooms this minute, meetings, workshops, presentations. And when you look at the role of a consultant from an outside perspective or a thought leader within an organization however much we'd like to think we can be there for everybody all of the time that isn't true and a lot is written about engagement collaboration and outcomes and the challenge for organizations for me is actually coming up with a way of finding out what's actually going on in the room so instead of sending out messages and communications about how engaged we all are and how we're all on the same page, organizations for me cannot get an insight into what's going on in the room if we don't get some feedback from the people who are actually in that room. So it's almost a little bit like if you're not in the room, you don't know what people are thinking. They may just be doing what you tell them and that doesn't necessarily mean that the job really gets done or that issues that arise won't be addressed because people are just doing what you've told them to do. But also, I suppose, you could be the manager, the leader in the room, and you're not getting the information that you need to actually assess the true uh, mood in that room. Absolutely. And I think when we, when we look at the actual laws, you'll see how the two examples there that you've used will actually show up in the way the laws are applied and the data in effect that the cold hard data that would come out and that's an i love a healthy tension in the work that i do so the healthy tension here is between how can we take something that is hard uh, to get hold of intangible as in engagement collaboration how the hell can we take this and turn it into something that is data something empirical that you can actually calculate and I just thought that was a, 
a fun thing to do. And I think without it, in both of the examples you've described, the problem that causes for organizations, whether they're doing change or strategy or some form of learning and performance is there's always going to be conversations and meetings and workshops that you want to be as effective and productive as possible. But again, you can't collect that data by looking from the outside in. You've got to find out what's going on in the room. So it's not an observational thing from one person. Every person, attendee and participant in that conversation becomes a potential data collector. We're looking for their perspective. And it's that perspective that enables organizations to do their change, their strategy and their learning and performance better because they have that insight. It's always going to be an underpinning enabler for successful change, strategy, learning and performance. Right. I'm listening to you there. I'm thinking, was there sort of a eureka moment where you saw a situation and realized what the problem was and and what you then needed to do to to try and resolve it yeah i think i think there was and it could this could either be applied to a manager or leader who is let's say has got more of a command and control approach in my case that leader was part of an external consultancy that had come into an organization and my observation was the way those meetings were run in a change theater as i call it a change uh, project or program i could see that whatever we wanted to achieve was actually inhibited by what was going on in the room and using a specific example is If you go into a room way down the project plan to say we need to now engage the wider team, my observation was all of the valuable, useful information and work had already been done up front. And it was always going to be limited how successful it was going to be by bringing in colleagues later down the line. So those specific meetings, when we get onto the laws, would have scored low scores on the engagement and the collaboration, yet on the face of it, boxes were being ticked. So the example is here is don't just run the meeting, don't just do the presentation, don't just have the workshop. If it's not the right kind of meeting, presentation and workshop, in the the lens of the laws, you're going to get low scores. And that is why the whole project and program is at risk because people are walking out of that room dissatisfied, uh, disillusioned, and sometimes actually quite, it goes it goes to the extreme that they're quite upset with what's happened because they feel it's being done to them rather than with them. And for any change to stick, for me, it needs a more adult approach. A lot of organizations maybe steer clear of that because they think it's going to take too long. But we'll see from the way the laws are structured, it doesn't have to. Yes, it reminds me of being involved in a change program where I was fully, I felt fully engaged and I felt very committed to it. And I was seeing people who were saying the right things in the meeting, but outside of the change planning meetings, they would be negative. And it's almost like listening to you there, you're explaining to me the experience that I went through where, yes, everybody's saying it's great, it's fantastic when it was not right or correct, but it was the best thing for individuals to say 
in that environment. But when they left the room, the questions about what's in it for me, what's in it for my team, my department had not been answered. So outside of the environment where the politics of the organization meant that you had to say the right things, yeah. they then left that environment and went and said the honest things. Yeah, and, and, and that's um, worth saying, I think, that I think there, Michael, that there is one particular main voice maybe in that room and there's a lot more other people involved in that meeting. So if you are going to take perspective from each of the colleagues, then that theme is going to come out because you're asking everybody in the room rather than just that one person who's presented. Yes. So you immediately, the mindset changes. So the leader or the thought leader or the presenter thinks there, hang on, just the thought that other people in the room are going to get asked for their opinion, like their, you know, their review of where they've stopped maybe, uh, you know, review of accommodation. They're going to be asked to review or feed into how effective each individual in that room. So it's very much uh, felt about it. So it's very much a bottom up, what did everyone think rather than did we tick a box and what did the leader think? By definition, you'll see from the structure of the laws, it asks everybody for their feedback. And that's the data we're after because it's only the truth when someone says it themselves, not when they're told it. Right, Martin. Thank you very much. That's really interesting. Can we just go through what the three laws of engagement are and then address each one individually and explain what they mean and what they mean to people who would be listening and how they might work with them. So um, what are the three laws of engagement? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love the listener to maybe have a pen handy if they're engaged themselves at this point. I'm going to give you one line for each law. The first law of engagement is about how engaged you are in the time that you have. That's it. Full stop. It produces what I call an engagement coefficient. And we're going to use that in the second and third law. Okay. Moving on to the second law. The second law is about how many good ideas you're com coming up with in the time that you have. And it uses the engagement coefficient from the first law. And it calculates you a collaboration velocity, which as far as I know, hasn't been defined in these terms. So collaboration velocity is what you create by applying the second law of engagement. And moving on to the third law of engagement, it's different in respect of the first and second laws happen when you're in the room together. The third law of engagement happens after that conversation because to look at productivity, I'm really interested about turning ideas into outcomes. And so the third law of engagement is exactly that. It's about productivity with regard to ideas and outcomes. So if you look at the three in summary, first one's about engagement. The second is about collaboration. And the third is about outcomes. Thank you very much. Let's look in more detail at the first law. There is a formula, and this is the first fun part of the, the laws, I think. They, they're actually a, a, an equation that you can punch numbers into. And of course, with any equation, they're a function of different numbers that you punch in. So I'm just going to list the three or four numbers that I'm looking for. You remember, you've come out of a meeting. So think about how you would assess them for yourself. You could even think about a meeting you've just been in today or yesterday, the last meeting you were in. Um, the really easy one to start with, I call out how many available minutes there are really straightforward how long was the meeting and the conversation 
And what I'm really interested in, the slightly more difficult thing to put a number on is how many of those minutes were you sharing useful truths? And those are three really important words. Each of them's, re- you know, incredibly important to, to talk about sharing, which means it's coming out and being shared with someone else. It's no point it's staying in someone's head. Useful, that means somebody else or you all can do something with it. And it's a truth, which means it's not true. It's truth to that person who's offering it. So if you were in a 60-minute meeting and you thought that for 48 minutes or so, it's quite an exact number that, it's probably not that exact, it's the amount of minutes you thought of the 60 you were sharing useful truths. And that's the first part of the first law of engagement to assess how many minutes you were sharing useful truths. There's then a second part to this first law, which is when we're walking back to our desk, Michael, we might look at each other and say, you know what, there were eight people in that room and everybody was engaged. So that's a seven or eight number of those eight that were engaged. Equally, we might come out of another meeting and say that was lousy. There were only one or two people talking. So the key to this first law is understanding not only how many minutes were you sharing useful truths, but how many people in that room were actually engaged out of the whole number. And actually, in the equation, I give a larger uh, weighting to a larger group, a big uh, weighting to a larger group, because I think it's harder to engage with a larger group. So the three main components or variables within the first law is how many minutes were people sharing useful truths? Number two, how many of the people in the room were engaged out of the whole number that were in there? And in terms of the group size, the larger the group, the better. And all of those things mean you will be able to calculate what I call an engagement coefficient. The higher the coefficient, the better and more engaged people were in that meeting. So back to your examples earlier, a not so good meeting would give a lower engagement coefficient and a really good meeting, just because of the numbers gathered from everybody in the room, would give you a higher engagement coefficient. And that is how we calculate how engaged you are in the time that you have. And that's the first law of engagement. That's interesting. Very interesting. I like the idea that it's about the time that you're in a in a meeting and the the interactions that you have with those people and trying to put some sort of measure around those. So it's not just one person or two people talking and everybody else being very quiet. It's the making sure that you get all of the opinions, all of the voices within the room contributing to the discussion. Absolutely, Michael. And that would create yeah, that would create a an effective use of time in effective meeting which is more likely to have positive outcomes absolutely and i think because that i mean you let the maths take the weight if you like because it's going to be averaged out across the group mm-hmm. so in your example earlier somebody who's giving the presentation might give a bigger score because that's maybe their bias so they might say well i was sharing use of truths for 50 minutes an hour but everybody else might not think that and therefore the data is going to average out and it's actually going to give a reflection of the whole meeting not the individual within it and you'll also notice some of the variables are factual and objective like the available minutes and the group size 
But what is equally, if not more important, is the amount of minutes people think useful truths were being shared. Now, it might not be that person sharing the useful truth. It's the amount of minutes they observe useful truths were being shared by anybody in the room. Equally, it's the number of engaged folks. So there's some subjectivity to this, but I like to play around with that because it doesn't all need to be factual and okay. objective. Subjective is okay because it creates conversations. Great. I enjoyed that. Now, the second law of engagement, what is that? Yeah. So you take your engagement coefficient, which you've calculated already. And the second law is about how many good ideas you're coming up with. So I love the term collaboration velocity. So let's just break it down. And this is what we do in the formula. We take the engagement coefficient and we multiply it by two things. One is the number of ideas that you think came out of this conversation. Now, remember, I'm using more general terms to describe things like ideas because I want these laws to work in every conceivable situation. So I'm purposefully not using change words or strategy words. I'm not predicating any knowledge or anything. I'm just saying ideas. So you multiply your engagement coefficient by the number of ideas. You might think there were six good ideas in that meeting. I might think there were nine. I mean, it's interesting we use the engagement collaboration tool we do because you can actually count them down the left-hand side. If it's not as explicit as that, as that, it's going to be quite subjective. So we're interested in how many ideas people think they've generated. And then the third variable is probably the most important one because I put another weighting on it. These are even more special than ideas. I call these gems. Gems are the type of ideas that have real benefit, like disproportionate benefit to the, the I, the we and the us being the, the individual, the team and the organization, things that are, they might follow, you might decide a gem follows the smart mnemonic. So are they specific, measurable, achievable, etc. A gem mm -hmm. is something you can take away and do something and put into action. They get a special weighting. And what I've done from my observation over time is I've added a weighting, which I think reflects what I've seen going on in the room. So I used a weighting for the group size. I've also put a weighting on the gems. So if you create more gems, you're going to get that multiplied up by the gem weighting. And this is, again, all divided by the available minutes. And it's interesting, Michael, you picked up on the available, the, the time aspect of this. You'll notice that a lot of this is about making best use of your time together. And I think when you look at organizations and how effective you are, the penny might start dropping. Is that regular meeting with 20 people in it every week scoring high on the engagement coefficient and the collaboration velocity? Probably not. And it probably could be a more effective way of running those meetings, either with fewer people or less regularly, that would score a higher engagement coefficient and collaboration velocity. And again, you'll get a number out of the second law, which describes how many good ideas you're coming up with. So a leader within an organization could look at a series of meetings over the last month and can see their engagement coefficient and their collaboration velocity going up because that's what people in the room are saying. And I think that's really powerful to have that insight within an organization. It certainly is. I'm wondering, though, having the insight, what would an organization do 
when it has that insight? Amazing question. So I scratched my head on this same question and then I looked around my office and realized I'd been writing down what have now turned into be practices of engagement. So I felt it was only fair to say you're scoring here. If you want to increase this by even small percentages, because it all counts, then there are certain practices. And whilst the laws are unique uh, to me and innovative, 100% created originally, the practices of engagement tap into some things that we already know about. So there are 12 practices of engagement, such as um, giving positive feedback, helping them to help themselves, body language. I could go through the 12, but maybe that's for a different time. Yeah, we can go through those another time. Mm -hmm. The second law of engagement about the collaborative velocity, you might say there are different types of ideas, and I think you then described them. And I think it's worth just reminding people of what what those are. Yeah, so actually two types of ideas, just ideas. They're just... um, connections people have made, new things they've thought of. They could be put on a flip chart at the front of the room. You know, what's the idea that's come out of this conversation that we could actually go forward with? So it's the kind of things people would write in their book. In a change environment, there might be actions. uh, There might be what's on the weekly log. Their ideas, you'd agree a criteria for what that idea is. And then there were the gems as well, weren't there? The gems are the absolute, you really high value things. You'd agree a criteria for this. So what you've picked on, Michael, is quite right, that within an organisation, I would suggest that they put some definition on what ideas and gems are to them. Okay. But what I've had to do is use words that works for hybrid meetings, online, offline, you know, remote, face-to-face, large ones, small ones, different sectors, different countries. So I've tried to use words that people can relate to and then apply them to their specific situation, which I'd love to help them with. Right. So an idea is something which it's like a brain dump type of situation with um, storming brain dump. Let's put all of the ideas down. The gems are the ideas which could be put into action without a lot of work, which would deliver results. They're the ones that are going to work. We need to get lots of ideas down and then work out which ones are the gems. Absolutely. So there's a a sorting and a prioritization and a pruning to them. So everything would count as an idea. As the saying goes, you know, there's no bad idea in brainstorming type terms. It all counts as an idea. But by putting a criteria on which of those ideas are gems, they get the higher weighting. So having lots of ideas isn't going to increase your collaboration velocity as much as having a lot of gems uh, within an agreed criteria. So it's focusing on, yeah, we had lots of ideas, but what actual gems did we come up with? That's great. Thank you. And this third law of engagement, tell me more about that. So, yeah, so what I had to then do is is cast my net uh, along the timeline a little bit because I have to realise when it comes to productivity, not everything happens in the room with everybody around the table. The behaviours, the changes, the types of things that are going to happen are going to come after Everybody walks out of that room. So we're shifting into a bit of a different gear here. And that's quite hard for me to do because if there were a few variables that play in the room, I cannot predict what's going to happen in the week, month or year after that. 
So what I had to do was frame a third law around what I call productivity. I thought productivity was exactly the right word for it. It's about look at the dictionary definition, how you make the best of what you've got and you achieve a positive outcome. And you've used the word action and I've just used the word outcome. And there's no coincidence there because the third law is about turning ideas into outcomes. So I use outcomes with an outcomes waiting. So you would define an outcome as something you wanted to achieve. How many of those did you achieve? And then from a project and change perspective, I observed that if you record an action, you really need to follow through and complete on that action. So I've identified there are is a proportion of actions that need completing as well as outcomes having a waiting because they're really important. You really want to increase your outcomes and I can see actions as a way to get there. So there's maybe a bit of a change influence coming into this one by using actions, but I've used action and outcomes to calculate the productivity. And again, everyone would punch their data in. And actually, if you had a project management office, this is where you could probably gather some data uh, from the actual project logs because it's not all happening in the room. So this could be more of an objective measure. Listening to what you're saying there, I'm thinking that, yes, what we want are outcomes from any type of meeting, or conversation we want an outcome to happen from it but we're not going to get outcomes that are going to work for our organization regardless of the size of that organization or the teams departments whatever you want to call how um, employees are grouped together or individual employees unless we actually go all the way back to the beginning and make sure that those people are first of all engaged in the project, engaged in the process, have the right mindset to make sure that the project is going to work and actually collaborate effectively with everyone else. You do not want people to be coasting along with other people. You lose the opportunity. You lose the contribution of an, one individual, you lose the opportunity that that person has to offer to make this project a success. Yeah, and I think that's a massive untapped potential within organisations and where these laws are going for organisations is to help them unleash that untapped potential. And I think what you've spotted each of the laws in turn is either an accelerant or an inhibitor for the next one. So you could be looking at your data thinking we've got a really high engagement coefficient, but we're not generating the ideas or the gems, or we're generating the ideas, but not the gems. And then even if you have a high engagement coefficient and a high collaboration velocity, if you're not following through on your actions and not achieving your outcomes, what this data allows you to do is to be really precise by actually intervening in what is and isn't going on in that room. So instead of talking about general engagement and collaboration and outcomes, this gives you the working out and data to provide an intervention or some guidance, whether it's a practices of engagement or not. It allows a leader within an organization or somebody who can influence to say, these meetings are like this, they're not right or wrong, they're not good or bad, but we can actually improve them, we think, by doing X and Y and we'll run it for two months and we'll see our scores go up and then we'll take a view and then we'll go again and that is going to compound into a more effective organisation back to change strategy 
learning and performance using the laws of engagement. That is great, Martin. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, you have been listening to me, Michael Millward, have a conversation with Martin Johnson about the three laws of engagement. This has been part of Work, 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 works independent minds delivering the ideas that make you help make you successful at work thank you very much martin we will ha have to talk more another time about the laws of engagement and the practices of engagement as well i look forward to it yeah thank you very much thank you very much michael take care thank you